0: Morning, Christ Church. Uh, I wish that we were all sitting together this together this morning. This is a, a little strange that we have to do this uh, through a screen, uh, but we want you to know that we love you all. And despite the current interruptions to our normal ministry, our normal worshiping and gathering together, we as a pastoral team are actively. Uh, putting together new plans of what does it look like to worship together in the midst of this uh, temporary separation what does it look for look like for us to uh, be discipled and what does it look like for us to to do deeds of love together to love our neighborhood and so we're really looking into some of those new opportunities we might have to love our community uh, new opportunities that actually might spring out of this uh, so what does it mean for us to grow in discipleship to one another so we're working on all of that, and we're, hope, and we're going to be sending you uh, more information this week. But in the meantime, I'm glad that we have technology that allows us to stay connected uh, this morning. So let's turn now to the Word of the Lord. This morning, our text is John 11. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn to John 11 right now. And as you're opening your Bible, uh, just a few words of introduction, you know, something I've been thinking about as I've been thinking about this sermon um, is the season we're at in the church calendar. You know, we're in the season of Lent right now, and the season of Lent is one where we have to face certain realities in life. It's, it's a season of, of realism. It's a season uh, where we realize that we live in the now and not yet moment that Christ has indeed come, that he has conquered death, that he has conquered Satan and the enemy. And yet, we still feel the effects of sin daily in our lives. The fact that you are watching this on the screen right now is proof that we deal daily, we're dealing now with the effects of sin in our life. Viruses still spread. Death is still part of our daily living. And this morning, in the midst of this season, in the midst of The global circumstances, we are coming to a fairly heavy passage, a passage where Jesus is teaching us about death. Jesus is teaching us about death, and he shows us that even when it comes to death, even when it comes to the great enemy of death, he is still king. He is still triumphant. He is still Lord. So turn with me to uh, John 11 now. We're going to be in verses 1 uh, through 27. Here now, the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary, Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. <clears throat> so the sisters <clears throat> sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we come to this text this morning needing your spirit to guide us needing your spirit to encourage us, needing your spirit to speak to us. Even though we are watching and listening to this at different times on different platforms, may your spirit speak to your church through this word. And may you strengthen your people to hold fast. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The, the first funeral I ever went to was when I was in the fifth grade. And it was at this funeral that I saw my first dead body. It was my grandma. And my grandma was someone that I knew really well. She lived a country mile away from us. I was at her house all the time. After school, I'd mow her lawn. We'd eat sandwiches together. We'd watch, you know, afternoon soap operas together. She was daily a part of my life. And so it was a stunning thing to walk into this church to see her laying in a casket at the front. And as I walked up, I noticed she had her, her dress on. She had her uh, jewels on, she had makeup on. She had even had perfu- perfume on that I could smell. It was Grandma. She was dressed up like she was going to church, and yet it wasn't Grandma. She, it was just her body. And, This is when I first encountered what happens in death is separation. Death is separation where our spirit is separated from our body. For momentarily, our body goes into the ground, our spirit goes up with the Lord until the Lord comes again and our spirit is then again reunited with our bodies. Death is this separation. And not only is it a separation within ourselves, but it's a separation from one another. I can no longer talk to my grandma. and I can no longer have an ongoing relationship with her. Death is also separation. And as I was experiencing this profound separation for the first time in my life, my brother, who was behind me, kind of grabbed my shoulder and he, and he pulled me off to the side and said, Craig, we don't want to look at this. This is Don't, don't look at this. What was happening was he was very uncomfortable with this because it's an uncomfortable thing. Death is uncomfortable. And in his discomfort... He pulled me to the side. He pulled me off. Death is uncomfortable. Death is confusing. Death doesn't make any sense because death is not supposed to happen. Death is a sign of the fall. But because we do die, because death is a real thing, it is something that we become fearful of. You know, you can see this fear and this anxiety over the last month as this coronavirus has been spreading around uh, the planet. We are fearful. We are anxious. And what are we fearful and anxious of? Death. We do not want to die. And maybe more than our own death, we're fearful about the death of loved ones, about seeing our children suffer, about seeing our loved ones suffer. Nobody wants to see their loved ones die. You know, we as a church, we're a people of life. Jesus is the God of life, and death is actually the enemy of life, the enemy of God. And so in the presence of death, we become fearful, we become anxious. And in this passage what we find is that Jesus steps right up to that anxiety, to that fear, to that confusion surrounding death, and he brings clarity. He brings his peace. And in this passage, we're going to find that he's teaching us three profound things when it comes to death. And these three things will help us as a people hold fast and battle the fear and anxiety that rages inside of us. And the first thing he teaches us here is this, that Jesus is glorified in death. That Jesus is glorified in death. This first thing that we learn is actually I think a little surprising. As I was even studying this passage and discovering this, I felt very uncomfortable even writing that down. Right isn't God the enemy of death? Isn't death the sign of sin, not of God's glory? How is it that Jesus is glorified in death? But here what we find is that the very first thing that Jesus says is that to Mary Martha is that he is glorified in it. You know Mary and Martha have come to Jesus sending news of an illness uh, to their brother Lazarus. An illness that's very serious if they're sending news to Jesus about it. And Jesus responds in a peculiar way here in verse 4. He says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The very first thing that Jesus says doesn't make sense, does it? The very first thing he says here is, This illness does not lead to death. We just read this whole passage, and we know that this illness, in fact, does lead to death. And so what does Jesus mean when he says this illness doesn't lead to death? Well, if we look at the end of the passage, in verse 25, we actually find the answer. It says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What we see is that if we are in Christ, death is not the end of us. Death has been defeated for those who believe in Jesus. And so what we find is that Jesus is glorified in death, not because of the death itself, right? Death itself being the enemy of God. But Jesus is glorified because he triumphs over death. Jesus is glorified because he has victory over death, because he reverses death. Death has no power over Christ. You know, this word glory here means to reveal or to disclose. So what we find is in this Lazarus event, the power of God is displayed in Christ. It's revealed in Christ that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one. And it is displayed in a way that couldn't have happened if Lazarus had never died. And it reveals Christ's intentions that he has come to save, that he has come to reverse death, that he has come to conquer the final enemy. This event is one of, the many who, one of the many events of miracles of Christ that continue to reveal who he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world to make all things new. And even for us, as we, we experience Christ in a profoundly unique and new way, in death, and in suffering. That is in our moments of despair and fear that we realize that Christ is actually with us in the midst of them. That in the darkness, his light shines all the brighter. You know, in his book, in dealing with uh, grief and death, C.S. Lewis says this in this book, um, it is easy to say, You believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box, which is to tie a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? It isn't until we are facing our deepest and most profound fears, it isn't until we are absolutely desperate that we find that Christ is there that we find that Christ, indeed, is enough. You now, if we've always lived a comfortable life, you know, if we always had everything taken care of for us, we would never need God to act, would we? We might not even know he is there. But in these moments of life where we are desperate, it's in those moments that Christ reveals himself to us in a profound new way. And so we are called first not to fear in death, because Christ is glorified. In death, Christ is triumphant. And what we find is not only does he reveal himself to us, but he also brings us comfort. And this is the the second thing that we learn, is that Jesus comforts us in death. I think one of the the best is to see how Jesus is comforting us in death in this story is if we look at each one of these characters and see how God interacts with Jesus interacts with each one of these characters. The first ones that he interacts with is Mary and Martha. Right at the beginning of this passage, Mary and Martha are seeking him out because they want Jesus to do something. They are reaching out to Jesus because they want Jesus to do something. We actually know that for a fact because we see both Mary and Martha respond in verse 21 and later uh, in verse 32 uh, in the very same way. Right? They say, Jesus, if you had been here, right? If you had been here, Lazarus would have been able to live. They wanted Jesus to be there so he could change something, so they could, so he could heal Lazarus. And Jesus responds to them, like he does even for us, with a word, with a word of comfort. For them, it's this illness does not lead to death. It's a word of comfort. And then his response is a delay. It says uh, when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, in verse 6, that he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus responds to to, to their desperate plea with a word of comfort and then a delay. And then later, he finally comes in verse 17. Now when Jesus came... And this is often how we experience the comfort of God ourselves, right? We reach out to God in our, uh, in our trials, in our desperations. And we find a measure of comfort in his word. And then we wait. And sometimes we wait some more. And sometimes we wait some more. And those days turn into weeks, turn into months, and sometimes turn into years where we wait for the Lord to change something. And he doesn't act in the way that we are asking him to. But what we find here in verse 5 is that his waiting is not indifference, but it's actually love. In verse 5, right after uh, Jesus responds to Mary and Martha for the first time, he says this, Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or because of that love, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Right? It's actually out of his love for Mary and Martha and even Lazarus, that he delays his coming. Because in his delay, his glory, his power is revealed to them. It's revealed to us, it's revealed to the world. And even in our moment now, as we pray and ask God to act to stop the spread of a virus, we wait. We wait for the spread of this disease to stop. We pray for it to stop. We interrupt our lives for it to stop, and we wait. And out of God's love for us and his own comfort for us, we wait until it's his time. What we find is that even though we have to wait sometimes, he always does come. Verse 11, it says that he goes to awaken him to raise him. And in verse 17 it says Jesus came. Jesus comes to his hurting people. Jesus will always come to you. Uh, in his commentary on this passage, uh, John Calvin says this about the, the waiting of, of, for Christ. He says, For whatever may be his delay, he never sleeps and never forgets his people. Jesus never forgets you, even though you might be waiting for him to act in your life right now. And what we find is even in the midst of the the, the delay, we find his love and we find his comfort. Secondly, we find the comfort in in how he relates to the disciples. At first, in verse 8, we find the disciples a bit self-protective. They say, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going back there again? Right? They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem because they just escaped there with their lives. And Jesus responds by telling them in verse 9 that he will indeed guide them. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he walks in the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus responds to them in their fears of going back by saying, I will guide you. My way is light. My way does not lead to stumbling. And even in the presence of darkness, even in the presence of death, Jesus still lights the way for those who walk with him. And those who walk with him will not stumble. So even in our fears of death, walking with Jesus leads us to life. And Jesus comforts us and comforts his disciples by leading them, by walking with them. And we see this comfort continue in verses 11 to 12. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So Jesus responds. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. One of the things we see is that Jesus speaks to us plainly. Jesus speaks the truth to us even when it's hard. And this truth speaking is a measure of comfort because Jesus doesn't lie to us, right? Jesus doesn't mislead us. He doesn't give us false hope. Even the purpose of him allowing Lazarus to die is hinted here in verse 15. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Right? He let him die so that they could witness what is about to happen, so they too might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The truth is, we might not always understand why Jesus does certain things, why he allows certain things to happen, but Jesus is always with us, comforting us, leading us, speaking truth to us. Lastly, the character I want to look at is Thomas. You know, Thomas responds in a very raw, honest way here. In verse 16 he says this. He says, "Let us also go that we may die with him." Thomas is absolutely devastated at the death of his friend. He is so broken-hearted that he is ready to die. What is fascinating to me is actually what's not here. Jesus does not correct him, does he? Jesus doesn't chastise him. Jesus doesn't tell Thomas to be quiet. But Jesus lets Thomas grieve. He lets him yell. He lets him scream. He lets him be angry. What we find is that Jesus is not afraid of your emotions. He isn't afraid of your grief. He is not afraid of your sadness. And more than that, when you read the Psalms, you realize that he actually invites it. He invites your sadness, your grief, your anger, your fears, and he wants you to bring them to him because he can handle them. Jesus comforts us in death. He comforts us through his presence with us. Through this, what we find is that that comfort doesn't necessarily change your circumstances, right? Uh, Lazarus still died, Uh, they still grieved. But comfort is Christ's presence with you in the midst of suffering. Comfort is Christ's presence with you in the midst of suffering. In the midst of fear and pain, Jesus is there. And he experiences it with you. So in our darkest moments, even when we face our darkest fears, even when we stare at death, Christ is triumphant. And more than that, Christ is glorified because he himself is our life. This is the final thing that we learn from this about death. And it's this. That Jesus gives us life and death. That Jesus gives us life and death. You know, in some, some ways it sounds absolutely crazy to be fearless in the face of death. To say that we have life in death sounds a little bit insane. But what we see in these last few verses here is that Jesus stares down death and the fear of death by erasing death. And if death is erased, there is nothing left to fear. In this story, in verse 17, we finally have Jesus and the disciples coming to Lazarus in the tomb. And Jesus approaches, and as Jesus is approaching the city, Uh, Martha runs out to him. And this is what uh, Martha says in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus responds to her by saying, Your brother will rise again. So Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha is coming to him. She's got this deep desire for him to act. But she doesn't just straight up ask Jesus to heal Lazarus, to bring him back from the dead. She's clearly hinting at it. Like if I said, you know, I've always wanted a surprise birthday party. You know, wink, wink, hint, hint. And Jesus responds to her, uh, hinting, by saying this. In verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Right? Martha just wants her brother back, but Christ shows her that he is the author of a more excellent life. The resurrection is not merely an end of times reality and thing, but it, it, it is a present reality for those who are in Christ. That in him we never die. To which you might be saying, listen, Craig, it sounds nice to say that we never die, uh, but you were just talking earlier about a funeral that you went to. Clearly, we know that we are going to die. Everyone dies. Remember also what I said at the very beginning that death is separation. In Christ, we are never separated from the divine that we might be separated from one another for a moment. We are never separated from Jesus. We are never separated from his love, from his presence. And back to verse 26, what does it say? Whoever believes in me shall never die. Never die. This is profoundly hopeful for us. To know that death has been defeated, that the sting of death has been removed. You know what is interesting is that the disciples were not wrong in their fear of going back to this area in, of Jerusalem. It was dangerous for Jesus. This event actually is one of the events that hastens Jesus's own death. Him going back and healing Lazarus, raising him from the dead is one of the things that got his uh, the religious leaders very angry and they started to plot more seriously against him. And what we find is that in this what we see is that Christ comes to us in our suffering and death. Even though his coming to us means his own suffering and death. Right? Jesus doesn't, doesn't remove himself from the pains of the living. He steps into the middle of them. He suffers them with us. And more than that, he suffers them for us. The reason we never die is because Christ died for us. He experienced momentary separation so that we would never have to. Jesus gives us life and death. And the death that gives us life is his own. Jesus says something haunting at the end of this uh, passage here. I find often the questions that Jesus asks uh, in, the, in the Gospels, just stay with me. They echo in, in my mind. And this is what he asks at the very end of this. He says, Do you believe this? Do you believe? The question is the same for us Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ has conquered the great enemy of death? Do you believe that you too will rise with him as he rose from the grave? My prayer for us as a church is that we would have the faith of Martha here to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Who's coming into the world to what? To make all things new, to restore that which was lost. And it is in moments that we are currently experiencing that we can start to actually question, that we can start to wonder, is this really true? And then in that wondering we start to feel the anxiety rise. But friends, may we hold fast. May we, as Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. And as we wait for the Lord, as we have faith that Christ is our beacon and our light in the midst of our suffering, may Christ also be a beacon to this world in the midst of a world that is full of anxiety. And my prayer for us is that we as a church will be that light, that we will be a beacon, that we will hold fast. And in this time of crisis, that Christ will be glorified and revealed on earth as he is in heaven. Pray with me. Most gracious and merciful Father, I give you thanks for this word that you are with us in the midst of our suffering And more than the fact that you are with us, that you are suffering alongside of us and that you have suffered for us. You know what it's like to wait. God, I pray that you would comfort us as a people, that you would remove our anxiety, that you would help us to be a light to the world, a light to our community here in Birchwood, a light to our neighbors, a light to Whatcom County. And that as we take this this time away from corporate gathering regularly, that we would be active as ever in loving our neighbors. Inspire us. Give us the imaginations to love well. And help us to hold fast and love each other well on top of that. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend. Amen.